Before we begin, let us take a moment to pay homage to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, and particularly our great master, the unvanquished one, the undefeated one, the fully awakened one, the enlightened one. Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse What did we discuss last week? Now I can ask that question. Oh, yes. Not being ignorant. And the fact that when you're ignorant, you don't know you're ignorant. And the worst kind of ignorance is this ignorance of suffering and it is that ignorance that creates suffering through attachment, yeah? And once attachment is in place, then there's nothing you or I or anyone can do to stop the consequences of that. Because once you're ignorant, then you attach, the mo- whatever you're ignorant about. If you're ignorant about this, you're not going to be attached to this, whatever that might be. Your ignorance is the root of attachment, and the moment you're attached, then suffering creeps in. You don't have to invite it because of expectation. We discussed this, yeah? The, the very expectation is our suffering, because once you begin to expect something, until you are provided with that, there is no peace for the soul. The irony of that is what I want to try and make sure you all understand because you were fine to begin with until you began to think to yourself that I'm lacking something, I need something in my life to make me happy until that expectation got planted in your mind, you were, you were doing just fine you thought something, you, you were missing something, you were lacking something, you needed something to keep you happy and then you would start going after it that very point was the origin of suffering. I'm reminded of the, uh, the forbidden tree from the, uh, the Holy Bible. Right? The, the very point of suffering was the, then that was the origin, right? When Adam and Eve were advised not to pluck trees from that, or pluck apples from that particular tree, then it's at that very point that they became curious. Now I need to go and find out. Now there's an expectation, the expectation of wanting to know, which is the worst expectation of all. As they say, curiosity kills the cat. Right? So at the moment you, that expectation arises within you, now you, you, there's nothing you can do until you quench it, or you'll have to just be patient. Patience is a virtue, as they say. And it is but it is second to wisdom 
Because when you're wise, you no longer need to be patient. So it is not true to say that the Buddha was patient in the face of adversity. The Arahants are not patient. There's, they're the most impatient people that I, <laughs> that I know of. They don't have that nerve. They have uprooted attachment, therefore there's no need to be patient about anything. Because you have to be a patient to be patient. Isn't that so? Yeah. So once you're healed, you don't know what you need to be patient. So, you know, ask yourselves, are there times in life when you need to be, when, you know, when those situations test your patience? And this is why I'm, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of the practical path to Nibbana. You know, the single program is titled The Practical Path to Nibbana because I'm, it makes little sense to me if we are only going after something for, the, for pure academic pursuits. Just to study something, just to you know, understand how things work, you know, like what I drew, drew on the board this morning, you know, the arising and the passing away. If that's simply a study, so we know how the mind works, so? I mean, you know how lots of things work, don't you? We know how lots of things work. You could probably explain to me how to get a man on the moon. If you didn't, you know, you could, I could give you 24 hours, you can go and do a, some research, and the following day you can come and tell me all about it. So, what has that, how far has that gotten you? Nowhere, really. So this practical application of what we understand is where true power is. As I say, knowledge is not power. I don't subscribe to that idea. Knowledge put into action is power. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. There are lots of people who know lots of things, but they are powerless against desire, aversion, delusion, anger, rage, hatred, jealousy, hmm? envy, and the list goes on. Absolutely. So, now ask yourself, right? so this is a practical activity I'm asking you to do right here, right now. Think to yourself, take a few moments and think to yourself, are there times in the past, say, week or so, you know, go back to, going back to however far back you can remember, you don't need to go all the way back. You know, say, in the, within the last week or so, are there times where you had to be patient? And I'm not just talking about physically being having to tolerate things like you have to be patient you know you have to practice patience when you're hungry you know you have to wait until the meal is served and the arahants have to do the same they have to go on arms and sometimes it may be that the entire arms round they return empty-handed nothing that can happen so it's not that patience we are talking about it's not the patience of you know wait having to wait for someone that is you know, it's a, it's a function of time. You have to wait until something happens. There's no problem with that. The issue is when it begins to hurt you, when it becomes painful, that there's a remedy for. I was talking to my father the other week, just last week, and I explained to him, Apache, with your age, things are starting to go wrong with your body. Because oftentimes when we start to talk, he'll tell me about what's aching, what's hurting, what's breaking, <laughs> what's not working. <laughs> okay? So I, I, I listen to him and I say, yes, I tell me more, tell me more, because that's what he wants right now. And then having listened to all that, I, I tell him, you know, all those things that you just explained to me, 
I'm sorry, I don't have anything to offer you. Because I'm not an expert in that field. I'm not an expert in physiology. Some of you may be. I'm not an expert in how the body works. I'm not a neuroscientist. So I don't know how to stop that pain from occurring. Now, as I talk about my father, I want you to think about your own. Help them. Then you can be a blessing to them. Without these Dhamma folks, you know, some, they may, there might have been occasions in our lives where our, our parents might have thought to themselves, no parent really thinks about this in this way, but, you know, just imagine if, say, one day your mother or your father thought to the, themselves, you know, just for one moment, why did I bother? I know no parent normally thinks like that. But, you know, when things get really, really bad, when everything they try and do to, to help us, you know, feels like just a waste of time. And the more they try and help, the, the situation just keeps getting worse. And, and we're not interested in what they have to say. And the friends that we associate simply keep on pumping into our heads that what they're saying is right and what our parents are trying to tell us is just pointless stuff, garbage. And there might have been times in our lives where our parents might have felt that way. Just maybe. But what I'm saying is, whether that may have happened or not, now we have the opportunity to change all that. As I'm doing with my folks, I want you to do with yours. For those of you whose parents are still alive, you have a fantastic opportunity to help them out. Because it may be that they don't have the, the physical ability to be here today. Perhaps they're very poorly. Maybe they just can't get out of bed. Or maybe they're not convinced that they should at least start to listen to the Dhamma. Maybe do something with the few years that they might have left. Yeah. Unbeknown to them, you know, they turn 55, 65, 75, 85. Now it's the last five. Yeah? Yeah. But they, you know, they know that. But what they don't know is how to free themselves from the agony that they're going through. Just as my parents might be going through some of those emotions right now, I'm sure it will be the same for you folks as well. And I want to help you so that you can help them. I don't need you to bring them here. I'd like to help you that so, so that you can go and help them, talk to them. Some of you on some occasions have brought your parents over and I've seen them and sometimes I know, you know, I can't talk to them for two minutes, they'll fall asleep. Some of them are beyond that age where I can, you know, practically help them. Because it may be that I, if you are a gentleman, I can, you know, whack you and say, wake up, sir, I'm, I'm talking to you. But convention is so that if you're a lady, I can't do that. So if you bring your grandmother here, I'm sorry, the only thing I can do is, Madam, and what if she's hard of hearing as well at the same time? And the batteries have died on the hearing aid, all at the same time. How can I help her? But you can. You can go and sit by her side, pat her head, help her relax, and say, 
I'm, I'm going to talk to you for five minutes. Just listen to me for five minutes. Like I said, I'll, I don't ask you for anything more than that. For everything you have done for me, just give me five minutes and listen to what I have to say. And try and help them understand something, folks, before, they, before you know, they've lost every chance of doing that. We have a duty, don't we? It's not right for us to think that our only duty is to earn for them, to feed them, to shelter them. I think as Buddhists, we must understand that we have a duty that reaches far beyond that. As the Buddha says in his own words, even if it is that you feed your parents, you care for them for a hundred years with each, either of them on, both, on either shoulder, carrying them around wherever you go so that there's, no, there's not a moment where you don't look after them. You cater to their every need. That is still not enough to pay the debt of what they have done for you. And that is not just feeding you, looking after you, bringing you up. It is actually bringing you here, into the human realm. If you weren't born as human beings, you wouldn't have had this chance. You could have spent many countless eons as Gandhavas and you wouldn't have come into this world to listen to the Dhamma. Now just look at the chance of all this happening, right? I, I, I personally feel, you know, last year when my parents came around, I. I wanted to talk to my grandmother, who's still alive. But I tried to speak to her over a video link and she, she, she can't understand a word I'm telling her. She's too old for that. And then that, that reminds me, you know, she came into this world at the wrong time. Now it's time for her to go. Because, you know, if you fast forward, or if you, if you rewind 15 years, 20 years, maybe 5, 10, 15 years, you know, we didn't have this Dhamma the way we have it today. It was there, but it was like an uncut gemstone. There was no luster. We didn't know it was there. And then somehow, it resurfaced. And today we have this Dhamma. Honestly, not because I say so. Go back, you know, into your, go back to your childhood and ask yourself, did you, did you really understand the Dhamma you, you do today as, as you do today back then? No. But yes, you, you engage in all the rites and rituals and virtues. You offered alms, right? You went and observed seal, went to the temple every poya day. That's not because the, the, the monks or the Swaminuhanses didn't do their duty, it's because we just didn't have the merit for it. What you, give, what you get is what you deserve, not what you want. We were not deserving of it. Today we are. The problem is, there's a generation who has just missed it. But with your help, they might just have a chance. And I'm talking about your parents. I'm talking about your uncles, I'm talking about your aunties. Maybe your grandparents, if they're still fortunate to be around. So talk to them. Talk to them whatever you can, take whatever you can from here and go and share with them in words that they'll understand. They may not understand what I have to tell them. Maybe the examples that I have to share, the stories I have to share, the analogies that I have to give, they won't understand it, but you know their lives then they know yours. Talk to them. 
you can feed them folks and I know you do a pretty damn good job at that. As grateful children, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that you do everything you can in your power to look after them. But I'm saying, I think there's more you can do if they're still around. Let it be that you are the last children on behalf of whom they shed tears. Let that be so. And you can do that. They've lived for 50 years, 60, 70 years, but what have they gotten out of life? So, you know, even if you don't one day become a monk, sit on a, uh, a dharmasana and preach, uh, preach the dharma to scores of people, you can still do your duty to your family. It may be your husband who's not willing to come here. Perhaps it's your wife who's not interested yet. Perhaps it's your children. You as a family member have the power to make a difference. Because where do we start changing the world? At, with yourself, and then at, at home. That's where we start changing the world, at home. And as I do at home, this is my home. And I have also another family, we are my lay parents, and I have a third family, that is all of you. So I nourish three families. I'm asking you to do one. I mean with the Dhamma. So to do that, we need to understand the truth. And we need to make it practical. Because I, I have a feeling that although, you know, with today's technological advancements and scientific application of knowledge and all that, you know, you people will be you know, it'll be second nature to you to, to, to understand these things in these complex cities and, you know, the, the intricacies. You'll have no problem understanding that. But perhaps, you know, the, your elderly grandmother or your mother or father, they may not be able to grasp these concepts in, in the same way. So you'll have to break it down into practical situations in life. Ask them, Amma, do you remember that day? Or ask them, you know, give me a time when I made you sad. Start there. Tell me a time when I, I made you cry. You can ask them, and then they'll tell you. Then ask them, would you, be, would you like it if I were to show you a way in which, through which the situation can remain unchanged, but you wouldn't have to cry? Would you like that? Why would they say no? Of course, they'd say yes, yes, I'd be happy to hear that. Now they have a problem that they have identified because you've helped them do that. And now break down that problem. Maybe it'll take you three weeks to talk through that one problem. Sometimes it does with me. With my parents, sometimes you take to talk about one problem, it takes about a month, two months sometimes. But my dad's a scientist. He taught me the scientific way of thinking about things. He made me part of, part of who I am is what he made me. But today, although he understands the world as it is, understanding the Dhamma is a very different thing. You need a lot of merit for that and a lot of patience. 
especially the people who try to take the time to explain things to them. So I, I really ask of you, okay? I don't expect anything in return from you, for me, but please do what you can for your, for your folks, for your parents. Start today. You know, start making a plan for it. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simple. Talk to them once a week. Find the time. Because, you know, when you needed something, did you not find the time to go and talk to them? Whether it was some, you wanted to borrow some money, or you wanted them to do, some, do something for you, or you wanted them to cook for you, or take you places, right? You always found the time for that. And when you asked them, at your beck and call, they were always ready. Now, ask them for one favor. Mom, Dad, I don't ask for anything else from you. Because you've given me enough to look after myself. I ask just one thing. Allow me to pay my dues. I have a duty to you and I don't want you to die without you know, leaving me indebted. Allow me the opportunity to pay my debt. Otherwise, I'd be terrible if you were to pass away and, and I would then have to regret not having taken the chance to help you out. So start making a plan for that. I'm going to give you a task when, you, when, you're, when you're back next week. Right? Come back with a plan. So they're going to ask you, have you all made a plan on how you're going to help your parents? So you can put, all put your hand up and say, yes, Swami Nansa, we've, started, we've made a plan. Keep it simple. You know them better than I do. Keep it simple. Think about what sort of examples will work with them. Think about what sort of stories will work with them. Think about what kind of situations will work with them. You know, we've discussed the Dhamma in lots of different ways. We've taken lots of different approaches to the Dhamma. Think about which way we'd work best with them. Is it the story about pleasure? Is it the, the story about vexation? Is it about attachment? Is it about the self? Think about it. The best example we've seen of this is none other than the Buddha. Where was he when his father was on his last legs? Right by his bedside. King Suddhodana passed away with his son preaching to him. <laughs> what more do you need as an exemplary figure to, to work out what you need to be doing now? Start there. Nothing lost because you will earn so much merits. You know, simply the, the effort that you make. That's why the Buddha says, if you take time to help your parents understand the Dhamma and free them from the suffering of sansara, all that they have done for you, you will have repaid their debt in full. Just the effort that you make to do that. I know some of you already are on this, but others may not be. I want you to make a start. That's, a, that's something I ask of you. So start making a plan for that. And I'll help you in whichever way I can, because I, when I talk to my parents, you know, there are ways in which I try and explain these things to them, and I'll, I'll share them with you. So I'll, I'll share one of those examples with you. So, because I feel, you know, they're all contemporaries, right? So they'll be going through the same sort of things, you know, physical aches and pains and that kind of hardship. I, 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 I may be wrong, but I feel I'm, I'm, 
I'll be forgiven for saying this. I think, you know, most of your parents will probably be well off. You know, at least reasonably. So, they, you know, they won't have any financial hardships now to, to face. Because, you know, you'll be doing that duty for them in, in case they need it. But most of them will be suffering not because of that. They'll be suffering because they feel they are one with this body and that whatever happens to it is something that's happening to them. Help them break that connection. So what I explained to my father was, 75% of all the pain that you're going through right now is actually not something that can be healed through physiotherapy or a consultant or anything like that. That is only 25% of it. And I can't help you with that 25 because I'm not a specialist in that field. Please go to the doctors and get whatever help you can with that. I can't stop the pain because, you know, some people have that impression as well that, you know, through Buddhism you can stop everything. Maybe. I've never tried it, so I can't be, you know, I, I can't talk for that. Perhaps, you know, there are states of samadhi where you, you, you stop feeling any kind of sensation, pleasurable or unpleasurable. But I haven't tried or experienced that and therefore I can't, you know, I'm not an ambassador for that. But what I do know is there is a way in which you can disconnect these physical pains with the mind so that the mind can interpret the pain as just a pain. It's a sensation and not something that is happening to me. That I can help with. The beauty of it is though, 75-80% of all pain is really down to that. So how do we break that? To stop anything, we need to understand its causes. Yeah? How do you stop a train? Or a runaway train? You're going to have to find the causes. You can stop anything, or start anything, if only you understood its causes. So there must be a reason why, when, if you were there in today morning's sermon, I drew on the board, you know, the outer shell and there's the mind that arises and passes away. There's something that connects these two things. Connects them in a way that makes the mind feel that this is me. It's me that's going through this. This is happening to me. That's why, as I said, you know, if someone bumps into you, sometimes you can get annoyed. Other times you might like it. Let me put this to you, and I think you're all intelligent enough to understand what I'm saying here. So please understand the, the essence of this, okay? And even if it comes across as offensive, please understand, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm only trying to help you understand that this is a whole, this is a, this is a, this is a mental game, okay? What is the difference between two people engaging in an activity and them calling it, you use the adjective, right? I'm not going to put it in here, right? Enjoyment and abuse. You, you put the adjective. Right? I don't, I don't want to spill it out. 
Okay? Enjoyment and abuse. Is it not the mind? And how, we, how the mind interprets that situation? Because it's the same activity. One will say, I'm having fun. I'm enjoying this. The other will say, I'm being abused. Might even say, I got raped. One is with consent, the other is without. So consent is not a physical thing, it's a mental thing. When one happens, one person will enjoy it. The same thing it could happen to that person the following day, and they'll file a lawsuit, a human rights case. But technically speaking, it's the same thing that has happened. Technically speaking. But you know, what I'm trying to help you understand here is how the mind interprets the world and this world that we create in, we live in. That is why I say all of suffering is a fabrication. Remember we talked about this last week? Suffering is pure fabrication. There's nothing so perfectly fabricated as suffering. It's perfect because it comes with Fear comes with grief, comes with lamentation, right? The full package. All the bells and whistles. So perfect. We create that world and we live in that. So, I don't know if you were in the morning sermon. I was, I was explaining to you one of uh, a young Anagarika, a few years ago, came up to me and said, Swami Nansa, I want to watch uh, some pornography, right? And, and please help me, because I, I, the, the options are either I stay and you help me relieve myself, or I have to go home, because I'm, I'm, just, I'm just dying right now. I feel like it, so help me. So then I, I, I told him, you know, look over there, you see that tree over there, right? Think about all the times when you had that you, you, you enjoyed yourself. Were they not creations of your own mind? Because the same event happening on the outside, if you interpret in a different way, there is no room for sensuality. You can't have lustful thoughts if you don't create it yourself. These are all fabrications. That's why when he asked me, is it possible you could show me something? I said, I don't have what you're looking for. No firewall can block or allow what you're asking for. I can, I can block certain websites. I can, I, can, I can prevent you from seeing certain sites. But... What you're asking for is not in them. You create it in your own mind. That's why one person will enjoy looking at something, another person will enjoy looking at something completely different. Complexion can make a difference. How so? Well, it's because it's not in there. 
This, this theory applies to everything. Because I know, you know, a lot of people, this is one of the, pla- this is one of the things that really haunt people's lives. As I was explaining this morning, young or old, it makes no difference. Child or adult, it makes no difference. Because it's the mind that seeks this, not the body. It is the body that has grown old. Not the mind. The mind is just born. It's fresh. Just out of the bakery. Nice and warm. Just came out. Mind never grows old because, you know, every moment, it's, it's a thought that arises and passes away. It's a thought moment. It only exists for that moment. That one moment. Sometimes you are 25 and you could feel 75. You know, think about this, you know, some, haven't there been days where you've thought to yourself, you know, God, it's been a long day today. Are there short days and long days? Last time I checked, all days are 24 hours. But some days you'll have only just started the day, the working day maybe. You've gone into the office and you open your inbox and there are lots of emails. Some saying urgent, right? some saying follow up, some saying come see me now. Anything, oh, God, today's going to be a long day. Look at the guy next to you. There's a wonderful day today, isn't it? (laughs) Talk to yourself. (laughs) Same day. With all these examples, I'm telling you understand this 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 world that you create is one, it's your choice, what world you want to create. And what once you start living in it. You are a full-time citizen of that, of that world that you create, and then you have to endure everything that you have built it with. If it rains in that world, then you'll have to get wet. You are the master of your own creations. You don't need to go after a divine entity of any sort. As I tried to explain to you last week, you know, I want to help you become independent. I want to empower you so that you have the choice. Once you understand this, you know, then after that you're free. I don't mind you suffering, provided you know that it is you who create your own suffering. I don't mind you suffering. Honestly, I don't have a problem with that. But I don't like it when you have to suffer because you don't know that you are the creator of your own suffering. Because then I feel I haven't done my duty. <clears throat> Guru Hamra always tells this to us. Now that I've taught you the Dhamma, if you want to suffer without practicing the path, that's up to you. I don't have a guilty conscience anymore. But the thing is, once you understand this, you will no longer suffer. So I don't have to chase you or come after you or you know, prompt you to free yourself from suffering. Because it is the ignorance of suffering that is the root of suffering. So take examples from the past week and ask yourself, you know, were there times where I had to be patient? Well, because I'm a good person. Like good people, they're patient. They tolerate, right? Tolerance is a, is a, is a, good, it's a good, good thing to have. It's a virtue. But you have to tolerate because you have to tolerate. Because you have to be patient. Were there times when someone tried to make you angry? And you actually thought that they were trying to make you angry? Were there moments in the past week where 
you know, sensuality tried to get the better of you and you had to fight it. Or you had to be patient because it was not the right thing to do. I mean, just think about it. You know, look at, if you read the newspapers, I haven't read one in a long time, but I remember from before I ordained. So if that was the case back then, I can only imagine things have gotten much worse now, right? Just imagine, you know, if, if one day you, you start to have thoughts about someone who you shouldn't be having thoughts for. What if it's your brother's wife? Tell me it's impossible. These things don't happen? They do. Even worse, what if it's your sister? What if it's your best friend? What if it's a teacher? How worse can it be if one day it's your mother? You can't tell me these things don't happen because people come up to us and tell, confess. There are people who have come up to me, I, I, I can personally relate this to you because it has happened to me firsthand. People have come up to me, young men, come and say, Swami Nanza, thanks to the Dhamma I'm saved today. Because the things I used to do while I was at home, it didn't matter to me that she was my mother. It's terrible. I'm not making this up. And I don't think you need me to keep saying that. I think you know better than I do what the situation is like today out there. You're like this only because it hasn't happened to your son yet. You feel relaxed, everything's okay, yeah, because it hasn't happened to your daughter yet. So you feel everything's fine, I'm okay, I'm okay. You know, that mother felt the same about their son, about their daughter, before it happened. But now, she can't face the world. Sometimes all they can do is endure it. Why? How can you go out and tell, my, 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 my son is like this, my, my daughter is like this? How can a mother, how can a father go and say something like that to someone? Then those things will just stay at home. They'll fester. And it's not just lust, it could also be anger, hatred. Now these are all creations of the mind. I know some children, some of them have come and become Anagarika with us, some have gone on to ordain, who've come and said, Swaminansa, had it not been for this Dhamma, I would have most certainly gone into one of the greatest hells because I was so angry with either my mother or my father. Some have even hit their parents. 
Because when they get into a fit of rage, they don't know what's going on, what's happening to them. You know these things happen out there. Some of them are fortunate enough to listen to the Dhamma and then they come, they come and they confess with us. This is what was about to happen to me and I was saved because I just got to listen to it in the, the right time. My, my point is this, folks. Remember last week I said, give this gift to whoever you can. They don't have to be Buddhists because this is not an effort to make you Buddhists. It is only an effort to teach you the truth. Yeah, give it, if you are teachers, give this message to your students. If you work somewhere, give this message to your colleagues, to your co-workers, to your employees. And it does not have to be a sermon. It could be something that you can share with them. It doesn't have to come from me. It can come from you. Because people are suffering and they don't know what to do about it. Haven't there been times where, say for instance, you've had to go see a friend, okay? And you'll have to talk to your child and say, Buddha, you know, we are going to go to that auntie's place. When we go there, please don't ask her about her dead son. And this young one, he doesn't understand, you know, why he'll, he'll obviously, you know, as all children do, what's the first thing they ask you when you tell them not to do something? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> if, you were, if anyone's an annoying brat like I was, I, I always ask, why? And then, the, you know, what today, if, without an understanding of the Dhamma, all you can say is, you know, because it hurts her. It's very painful for her when she's reminded of her son that passed away, so let's not talk about it. That is not the truth, I'm telling you. It's not that you shouldn't remind her of her son. That is not the problem. Re being reminded of her son is not the problem. The problem is, when she's reminded of her son, grief comes into her mind and she doesn't know what to do about it. That is the problem. The difference between her and you is when grief comes into your mind, you know what to do about it. When anger comes into your mind, you know what to do about it. She doesn't. That is the difference between an anarya and an arya. They know, what, they know the right thing to do about the problem. What's the right thing to do in this situation? What would you do? What would an arahant do? What would an arin do? And what would you do? In any situation in life, I say, go back in the past week, things that happened, right? Now, reflecting back, regurgitating those memories, go back and ask yourself, did I act in a way an Aryan would? Or were my actions not really thought through? I shouldn't have done that. I should have done differently. I should have responded to that differently. You know, Guru Hamidu always talks about event, response and outcome, right? We know the outcome that is required for one to get themselves to Nibban. He says, don't try and change the event. The only thing you are you can rightfully change is the response to it. So go back to your past week and ask yourself, in those, in those situations, in those events, was my response the right response? 
There may be some in which you, are, you can proudly say, yes, Swami Nansa, that was the right response. How do you know that was the right response? If they were the right responses, then you wouldn't have fallen into the traps of Mahara. Whatever action you took at that point would not have been the cause of someone else's pain. You would have not caused pain to somebody else. No retaliation. No fighting back. You would have understood that there is a mind that is vexed right now. There is no point in two minds vexing in this situation. You know, like when a kid gets hurt or he bangs his head somewhere and now the mother sees it and now she starts to cry. Now we have two problems, right? Now the father has two people to pacify. You can do what you need to do without getting emotionally engaged with that. But you can't stop yourself if you have no understanding of the Dhamma. To not be emotionally engaged, you need to understand what's really going on here. So go back to the past week and see were there times in which you should have, you, you, you probably would have done differently thinking about it now. Were there times that happened? What, like if you were in today morning's talk, then you, 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 you'll understand where we, we talked about the body and the mind that works inside that, right? And ask yourself, you know, were there occasions when things happened to the body and you felt that they were happening to you and as a result, you either trapped yourself in the trap of aversion or in the trap of desire or perhaps in the trap of delusion. Ask yourself this question. That's when it becomes practical. Because these are the things that you'll need to go and speak with your folks. Help them understand in ways that they will understand, in those in examples that they'll understand. But whatever you do, it has to be practical. That's why practical situations are the best places to apply the Dhamma and see what happened. How can I change it if I need to change it? Otherwise, it's simply, be, it's simply a theoretical, academic study of the Dhamma, which amounts to nothing really. You can write the Tripitaka, but it's already there, it's written. You don't need to write it again. Don't ever leave yourselves helpless or hopelessly helpless, which is even worse. I want you to identify those situations where you are helpless, situations where you got angry. Like I, I don't keep a, an eye out for what goes on after you leave this place, right? So I don't know what happened in your lives, but you do. Maybe at the workplace. Perhaps it's not a, you know, a fury or a rage now. Perhaps it was back then, but now maybe not so bad. But still, slight annoyances. Maybe someone didn't turn up to work on time. Maybe someone promised you to give, deliver something and, and they didn't. How did you feel about that? Is it still that external events can control how you feel on the inside? Are you okay with that? Do you, do you want that to be the way you always want to be? Someone said something 
It wasn't what you wanted to hear from them. How does that make you feel? Take those situations and see how you can apply the Dhamma so that next time something like that happens, you can better handle that situation. So I'm not saying don't be angry. That's a meaningless thing to say. Don't be angry, okay? I'll count to three and from that point on, let's all never be angry again. How about that? One, two, three. Right. Okay, everyone go. Dismiss. If only it was that easy, right? Don't have lustful thoughts, okay? Okay. <laughs> Easier said then? Done indeed. Only because there's something else is lacking. Remember, everything in this world is all cause and effect. You can cry till the you can you know you can shout till the cows come home, but if you don't deal with the causes, the effects will still be the same. That's why people say don't be angry, because they don't know how to stop anger. They just say don't be angry. It's it's a meaningless thing to say. That's like stop growing. Is that a meaning? Isn't, isn't that a meaningless thing to say? Stop growing. Stop growing your hair. Oh, how I wish that were possible. You have no idea. Stop growing old. Stop getting hungry. Are they meaningful things to say? No. For anything to stop, you need to address the causes. Once you address the causes, do you need to worry about the effects? No, just let them go. You don't need to. Which is why when that young man came and asked me, Swaminathan said, can you please help me? I need to relieve myself. Can you, can you show me something? I said, yes, go see. I have nothing to show you. What you're asking for, I don't have. He's come to me asking for sensual pleasure. What is it in this world that I can show him that has it? Hmm? Give me the website. <laughs> Which search engine will bring that up? What is the website for that you need to go to find sensual pleasure? Is there one? No, there is no such website. Is there a certain person that you could look at? Through which, through whose sight you will get sensual pleasure? No. How do we know this? Because if it did, then it would have to do the same for everybody. It's not part of the package. It's a creation of your own mind. The problem is, without an understanding of the Dhamma, you can't control that. And when, that, when you lose control of yourself, bad things can happen. Terrible things can happen. And then, you can't say, I'm sorry. <laughs> because once you do it, you'll have to suffer the consequences. The thing is, things that you do, unfortunately, I can't suffer the consequences on your behalf. In much the same way, if you do good things, I don't get the rewards on your behalf.
But when you begin to understand that this is a wholly mental creation, you begin to get some idea about the uselessness of this, 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 this mental exercise. Going through this activity of creating this world. That's why I, this morning I, I, I shared with you, the mind which arises and passes away within this shell, right? within this shell, the mind that arises and passes away, these thoughts are indoctrinated to think that all of this is part of the mind. Of course you know that I'm touching the body, this is the body, you know that. Yes, this is not a question about that. But, until you start to listen to the Dhamma, you must admit that you never thought to yourself that this is not part of me. So much so that you went on and said, this is my body. And you wholly accepted that, did you not? This is my body, don't touch me. Oh, hold my hand. Why won't you hold my hand? Hold my hand. Who's saying this? The mind is. Does the mind have a hand to hold? Does it? No. But indoctrination can make you think that this is all part of who you are. This is all... You're made up of all of this. This is one package. Beginning to understand the Dhamma. Start there. For some of you that will work really well. Begin to understand that this is a mind and this is a body. The mind is not the body. The body is not the mind. And it is wrong for the mind to think that the body belongs to me. The body is just there. In much the same way, like, you know, there's a clock here, right? Which reminds me, it's about time. This clock, right, it says it's made in China, as most things are. We never make anything. So this clock, I can read the time. It's about 40 minutes past 10. Let me turn it around. Can you read the time? Yes? On the other side, can you read the time, sir? Madam? Yeah? So. Was this clock invented for the time to be read, or to tell the time, or to tell me the time? To tell the time, right? Not to tell me the time. So if I were to think that this is my clock, where does it say that? Where, is it, where does this clock have on it to say that this is my clock? You can etch it on somewhere here, you know, you could, you, could, you could engrave it, but that's something you're going to do. Who says this is my clock? If this were my clock, only I would be able to tell the time looking at this, and you wouldn't. The moment I turn this around, this would just go blank. Or you should all go blind. So how come you can tell the time as well? Because this clock was invented to tell the time, not to tell me the time. So that's about the clock, right? Okay. Think about some of the things that you, ha you own. Hmm? Think of a few examples of things you own. 
My? My what? My child. Okay, we'll come there later. Right? I, I don't want to start with that. Right? My phone. Right? Okay, my phone. What are some of the things you can do with your phone? Make calls. Send text messages. Right? Browse the web. Right? Things. Right? So, is it only that you can do it? Hmm? So, can't anyone else do that? So, was that phone invented for you or was it invented to make calls? Yes, to, to, to serve a purpose, to, to do a function, right? How does it become your phone? Exactly, password. <laughs> right, okay, good point there. Why are they called passwords? Because they keep on passing around, right? Right? That's the thing that gets passed around the most. That's why they call passwords. So, how is it that if you punch in your password, you can unlock it, and I, I do the same, it will unlock it for me as well? Is that your password then? No, it's a password. What does a password do? Keep it to myself, or keep it locked for anyone who knows the password? So, is it my password? But I can think to myself that it's my password, right? Okay, what about your car? Conventionally, it is your car. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to leave it here. Okay, you can drive it back in just the same way you drove it here. Swaminan says trying to get things off us. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be able to get it to move one inch because I can't remember how to drive one now. It's been a long time. Right, so a car, you feel it's your car. When you look at your car, do you not genuinely feel that that's your car? When you go, you know, when you, when you enter your home and you, you, know, you unlock the door and you open your, your front door and you step inside, don't you feel home? <laughs> you don't have that feeling when you enter someone else's home, right? Why is that? Home, sweet home. Yeah? Home is where the... Indeed, yes. Because that is, you, you genuinely feel that this is my home. Right? Is that why burglars can break in as well? Because if it was your home and it was only built for you to enter, then you wouldn't have to put up your CCTV cameras and fences and gates and you don't have to do any of that. Because your home would not allow anyone else to enter it. I showed the Anagarikas a video yesterday. I'll show it to you next week, don't worry. Right, so, you know, come back to the point. You know, these things, we believe this is my phone, right? My car, it's my car, my petrol, right? I can go anywhere I want. When did it become your petrol? Uh, exactly right. Yeah. How is it your car? How is it your plate? How is it your house? How is it your bed? Can't anyone else sleep on it? Yes, and would the bed just kick the person out? No. But does that not, you know, you can't stop yourself from feeling that it's yours, can you? It's like internally, something's happened. It, you didn't feel that way before you got the bed. Yes? You went to the store, you got the bed, or they came and fitted it for you, and all of a sudden, you start to think to yourself, that's my bed. <laughs> From that moment on, now you can't help yourself. You feel that it's your bed. So that's so much so that if someone else sleeps on it, you get annoyed. Get out of my bed, that's my bed. 
Gents, you'll know all about this. You know, you say you get yourself a brand new car. Hmm? And uh, someone opens the door, you know, they get into it and now, you know, they, they start feeling it up, right? And, you know, they want to take it for a drive, right? Usually men love, love their cars, don't they? Yes, more than their wives. Right? A man who loves his car, you know, he doesn't like anyone else driving his car. It's a lesson I taught myself when I was in a lay life. Never borrow someone's car. <laughs> I, even if I were to, if I, even if I needed someone to give me a lift, I would ask them to drive. I would never drive it. You know why? If they drive it and they were to hit their car somewhere, it's fine. But if you drove it and the tiniest scratch, what they'll, what they'll tell you is, Can't, don't you know how to drive? If I had driven it, this wouldn't have happened. Yes or no? Yes. yes. You can't stop yourself from feeling that way. Until you comprehend the truth. That is the truth that I'm trying to convey to you. You see, the only things you've really made yours, folks, is fear and grief. Nothing else really truly belongs to you. Your fear is yours. Keep it. Your grief is yours. Keep it. These are the only two things that you can truly make yours in this world. Fear and grief. Your child is not your child. You only think it's your child. But the moment you think it's your child, now the fear and grief that comes with that is pure. It's yours because you created it. You didn't create the child. Your car is not yours. That's why you need to prove, go around proving to, yourself, to, to others, you know, Prove this is your car. This is, look, this is my permit. This is my registration. See? When, when, they, when the police stop you, what do they ask you to, ask you to get? Get your driving license and insurance? Right? So you have to prove that you have you, the car belongs to you. I mean, in this country, you don't have to prove the car belongs to you, but in some countries, you do. You have to prove that the car belongs to you. Why do you have to prove the car belongs to you if the car actually did belong to you? But do you need to prove to me that the, the fear that you're going through belongs to you? No. What about the grief? No. That's yours because you made it. The car you think is yours. And in doing so, you create that right. So the way I want you to start to think about this, take a few things, right? Now I've, I've already given you one task to do. In the next week. What's that? Plan. Yes. To help your folks. Right? Start making a simple plan. Don't make it overly complicated. You know, like talk to them for half an hour every day. No, you don't need to do that. Once a week is fine. Start with that. Don't let them, you know, walk away the moment they see you coming into the room. <laughs> start with something small. Small and simple is good. Now, plan big, but start small. So you have a big plan. Big plan is getting them to Nibbana. That starts more. So that's one plan. Second thing, think about some things that you are strongly attached to. For some of you, you can start with like what the lady suggested, you know, your children, your spouse. But for others, it might be a little bit difficult. So you don't need to go there just yet. You can start with, you know, material things. Your phone, your car, your, 
your your home, your sofa, your curtains, your carpets, uh, your your cup, your plates, your utensils. Start with something simple: your camera, your you know your furniture, your clothes, your spectacles. Like these specs, if you put them on, wouldn't you be able to see? Just the way I do, you would. Because therefore, this is not mine. This was not invented for me. It was invented to see, not for me. Not for me to see. To see, clearly. So think about a few things and start to practice. Your practice should be: Are they mine, or are they here for a purpose? For a, to serve a function. Then you'll begin to understand that everything in this world is only here to serve a function. The, each of these things have a purpose. You know, this has a purpose. This was not invented, you know, for nothing. It, it, it's serving a purpose right now. This, the, the cup here, it's, it's serving a purpose. The clock is serving a purpose. The voice recorder here, it's serving a purpose. This microphone, everything you see is serving a purpose. If it didn't, it wouldn't exist. Things that stop serving a purpose very soon become extinct. Because when the world has no need for it, it, it will not exist for any longer. So only things that serve a purpose exist. So now, start making a list of things. I don't mean just now, this is your homework. Start, you don't have to write them down. At least, you know, start thinking on your way home, right? Think about this as you're showering. When you're in the shower, you know, look around. What are some of the things you have at, in, in, the, in the washroom? Start thinking about something. Maybe you're, while you're cooking, look at the pantry. What are some of the things you have there? Maybe it's a fridge. Is this my fridge or is this a fridge? It's here to serve a purpose. But you feel that it's yours. Ask the fridge, it won't agree. Ask the manufacturers, they won't agree. That's why they sold it to you only because you were there at the right time and the right place. If someone else had gone, maybe one the customer before you, they would have bought the fridge and would have worked just the same. So nothing in this world actually belongs to you. You can use it, but they don't belong to you. So, but why am I talking about this? Why is it that I'm trying to convince you that things in this world don't belong to you? For one simple reason, ladies and gentlemen. When you begin to believe that there are things in this world that belong to you, the only thing that you'll end up belonging, absolutely, spot on, the fear that something might happen to them, or the grief when something happens to them. But if you can just see them as things that are here to serve a purpose, for as long as they exist, they'll serve their purpose. And then when their day is done, get rid of it, get another one. How do people have sentimental value about things? It's, it's partly in the, in the word. You take that bit out. <laughs> yes, mental. That's why, you know, your grandmother's ring is not valuable to me, but it is to you. So the value is not in the ring. It belongs to you Why your grandmother belongs to you. Therefore, the ring that belonged to her belongs to you. You see that connection? You can draw that connection right the way back to, you know, the Stone Age. <laughs> you can start with your home, and then, you know, your, your village, then your town, then your 
your province, your district, your country, the world. You see, there's no end to this. You start here, and then it just keeps on growing. Now if someone, say you, you travel to another country, and someone says, Sri Lanka, dirty country. How would you feel? If you feel patriotic, yeah, that would offend you. No end. Think, you know, you think, I'm, I'm, I'm Sinhalese. Hmm? Someone says, bloody murderous. How do you feel? Offended. Think about some of the swear words that people use. Offensive in nature. I, you know, in, in some cultures, it's offensive to say, you're fat. People get so thoroughly offended by that. I didn't know this. I learned it the hard way. I thought we were friends. So, you know, like you'd say in Sri Lanka, I said, you put on a bit, haven't you? They didn't like that. So I learned my lesson that day, never to say something like that again, because apparently it's pretty offensive. Why? When you believe this is you, then size matters. Now try saying you're black, can't you? You're just stating a fact. But won't people find that offensive? They'll say you're being racist. Words have been invented to offend people. Yeah, I don't need to spit it out here, right? Words have been invented, invented to, 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 to offend people because of their color. How is it that those people are offended? You know, no one can insult you without your permission. You permit other people to offend you, and you permit them by believing that all these things, these attributes, are yours. They are what define you. Hey, shorty. Is it cold up there? Huh? You can offend a tall guy by saying that. Is it cooler up there? People get offended, don't they? Yeah. And then they'll even start, you know, coming together as, as groups, as communities. I'm not here to change the world. Let me get that straight, right? May those communities long live and prosper. <laughs> May they be here today, tomorrow and forever. I'm not here to cure the world. I'm not here to heal the world. I'm going to make it a better place. Right? For you and for me and for... <laughs> I'm not here for that. I'm only here to help the few of, among you, the few of you who've come here looking for solace, who believe that this is a sanctuary where you can find the answer to this mental riddle, where for, for, the, for the few among you who, who believe that it's, the, uh, it's our response that changes, that needs to change, and that will change the outcome, not the event. I want you, I want to empower you so that, you know, people could look at you and, 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 you know, just completely without any regard for how you feel emotionally, just, you know, 
badmouth you, offend you in any way that they can imagine. Maybe it's because of your color, maybe because you're short, maybe because you're tall, maybe because you're fat, maybe because you're thin, maybe because you have hair, maybe because you don't have hair, maybe because you've got a cancer. I don't want for you to be offended because someone, oh, you got cancer, haven't you? That put me on the stake. Honestly, people get so offended by that. But why does that offend people? Because that cancer has also become part of them. Why? Cancer on the body, body is mine, so the cancer is mine. You see the connection? And then if it's your son that's got it, cancer is the son's body, body belongs to the son, son belongs to me, therefore my cancer. This is like long division. <laughs> you start somewhere. Where's the end to this? There's no end to this. You know, there's a war somewhere, you know, in some part of the world. You can get annoyed about it. All you need to do is somehow find a connection. So, you know, there's a war somewhere, right? What is that? Yes. Thank you. So say, uh, your son is married to a Ukrainian girl. Hmm? Now who's the bad guy? The Russians. See? It wasn't your problem until then. When, when did you want you know, when, when, when Sri Lankan cricket team, right, they play another country, when did you want Sri Lanka to win? When you began to think that you were Sri Lankan. That's only because you don't remember your previous birth when you were actually Indian. <laughs> so, that victory is not yours. All you have is fear and grief. Because anything in this world that can be won can also be unwon. Meaning, taken away from them. Therefore, no matter what you win, folks, please understand this, no matter what you are successful in earning for yourself, gaining for yourself, it's always something that can be taken away from you just like that. Either the elements will take it, or time will take it, or someone else will take it. Therefore, the only thing that you really made yours is fear and grief. If anything is based in causes, then that can also be taken away. All you need to do is understand the causes. Unfortunately, we have come across the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Mahasangha, who made it their purpose of their, of, of, of their existence to share this message with us, that suffering is based in causes, and when that causes are dealt with, those causes are dealt with, then suffering can be exterminated. So, I want that to be your life's purpose. And as you promised me earlier, please try and share that message with as many people as you possibly can. Start with your parents, because you owe them a debt of gratitude. Perhaps when you were younger, it was your uncles, your aunties who looked after you. Maybe your parents were a bit, maybe they were far too busy. Perhaps it was your, your siblings. Maybe your spouse. 
perhaps if you know if they're not here then help them in helping them you will help yourself I promise you that this is how I help myself by helping by helping you in giving we get okay so let's take a moment to transfer merits and we'll conclude the sermon <clears throat> okay let us take a moment to rejoice in all the merits that we have acquired throughout the day in listening to the Dhamma in preaching the Dhamma in engaging in various meritorious deeds in making offerings to the noble triple gem in practicing the path and in spreading kindness, compassion to all sentient beings may by the merits we have all acquired you and I and everyone in our families the devas, brahmas, spirits, demons as well as those who have passed on may they all rejoice in these merits and may the, through the power of those merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds fulfill the meritorious deeds fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibba Sadhu 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 May the blessings of the noble triple gem be with you all